Hey y'all, welcome to Bookish Bitches. It's not your grandma's book club. So grandma, if you're listening, please don't. I'm Megan. And I'm Lauren. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about All of Us Villains by Amanda Foodie and Christine Lynn Herman. Ah! So, yeah, this is um actually a pretty interesting read. I was very excited once I finished it to type of these notes as mm-hmm. Megan probably can tell from this like almost full page of notes. Yeah. It's very thorough. Um, so All of Us Villains is kind of like Hunger Games meets Lightlark. Um, it is set in a world in which there is high magic and common magic. High magic is super powerful. It can do uh, a lot more than common magic can do. And in this universe, common magic is even included in like cosmetics. So it's more commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so this world's obviously very different than our own. It's not just like our world plus secret magic. It's magic is known, magic is accessible. Um, but high magic is restrained to Overnath. Hoping I'm saying that right, because it's a very interesting name written out. But I'm also like, I had a large coffee about three hours ago. So my brain's starting to now speed up and also break at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Ilvernath, the high magic is restrained to a reigning family. The family is desi- decided through this tournament. So when the blood moon appears, there is a three-month tournament in which, this is where the Hunger Games part comes in. Yeah. Seven families submit one child of age to compete to the death. Um, and this was because of a curse. This is where the Lightlark part comes in that was set a long time ago. But unlike Lightlark, the curse, the families actually set the curse on themselves to be able to keep the magic in this town. So whoever lives, outlives the others, kills them however it happens. The surviving champion claims the power for their family. And that family has power for the length until the next tournament uh predominantly the low family has been in power for a long time we will talk more about their champion and kind of the really sadistic like awfully creative um ways that they do this so at the start of this book um there is this aftermath of a book that is written so it's a book within a book called the tradition of tragedy and someone with access to information about the tournament writes this book talks about everything that's happening in Ilvernath and brings public attention and government interference to the town. So there are these things called curse chasers or these people called curse chasers. They're like storm chasers. They want to watch what's happening. They want to get photos, basically trying to get the scoop on it all. And of course there's paparazzi with it. The government interference comes through agent Yu, who she comes in and is quote unquote observing the tournament but there is very clearly a hand of government influence in this because for the uh, Thornburn family, they actually pick the champion, which has never been done before. This has always been a very private endeavor. So that is kind of the big overarching theme storyline. The book opens with Alistair Lowe and his brother Hendry going to a bar and this kind of starts this whole path of like, everyone interacting as they're leading up to the time of the blood moon, the blood veil falling, which marks the beginning of the tournament. Yes. I feel like I covered everything. Yeah. It's pretty good. I made the notes very thorough. So it wouldn't be like, and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens because we both do that so much. I, uh, that's my red flag. Um, (laughs) 
That's yeah, you know what? Here, that's a pretty good, pretty good one to have. You're just very thorough. I'm very thorough. So before we get into the characters um, and talking about them, I want to ask you, who is your favorite character? I liked Alistair. Yeah, I could see that. I did. I definitely... Yeah, he he was my favorite. I always liked the bad kind of boy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. When I read him, I was like, Megan's going to like him. And for once, he's like not actually toxic, even though he's quote unquote the bad guy. Right. Like, he's got issues for sure, but he's not just straight up a walking red flag. Right. I would say, so, from the perspective of, like, I would want to be friends with her, I like Isabel. Mm-hmm. She's really determined. Uh, she's got a lot of issues as well. Most of the, most of these people do. But I like her kind of inner conflict and in how she's written. However, my favorite character is definitely Reed, Reed McTavish. Because this whole time, he's the one that you're like, ooh, you're up to some shit. Did that yeah. just meow? No, that was my phone going off. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say, he's just agreeing with me. Um, he's flopping on the ground, man spreading. He's in his own world. Fair enough. But Reed's definitely like, I could always tell there was something going on with him. And because of it, I would pay attention every time he popped up. <laughs> So let's then start with your boy, Alistair. Yes, ma'am. So, yeah, give me like a character profile of Alistair. Character profile, he's like the misunderstood bad boy, but he kind of embraces that misunderstanding because there's like a concept that there's like a monster in him and it comes out with like his anger and shit. So I liked that personally misunderstanding mm-hmm. what do you what do you like about Alistair because mine was a typical like I like you and you can be my next book boyfriend see that's so similar to you I also liked that the misunderstanding wasn't like oh this one terrible tragic thing happened to me and therefore I behave this way right. it was like no my family's fucking crazy and they're all really terrible people so they they would basically like traumatize him as a child and tell him that monsters were going to get him unless yeah. he became the monster himself. So there's a lot more depth to it. Yeah. And him being this anti-hero is really something that I'd like to see because it's not very common in books. See, I am reading. I'm sorry for yawning, folks. Uh, I'm reading this book tonight called Hooked by Emily McIntyre. Ooh, I've and seen the cover of that. So the entire series she has is like disney retellings of stories and they're all anti-heroes like even the women are Mm anti-heroes in some of them so like this first one is based off of peter pan retelling and like peter pan's the villain in this one technically from what i can tell and i am a fan of anti-heroes like i've always been a fan even of the villains i love them but the anti-heroes are just misunderstood people that live in a cruel world, you know? Yeah. So okay. Alistar really, like, was up my alley. <laughs> Let me ask you a question um, in relation to what you just said. What do we think of doing the Peter Pan episode with Hooked or um, the other retelling straight on till morning? Because Peter Pan's not a thick read, but I think it could be yeah. interesting to see it with, like, new 
new iterations of it and comparing it. We should do that. Okay. So, and then I'll put straight on to the morning. And if it's too much reading, we'll just change it. Because I do want to go through um, the different retellings. Because those are really interesting to me. Especially with like creating these new worlds where these characters are different. Right. Um, but yes, Alistair is like, he's actually kind of like the perfect anti-hero. Because he's not so villainous that he's not redeemable. But he's not so like soft in the middle that it's like, okay, but you're just like scared and traumatized. Mm-hmm. Uh. Ugh, damn it, narcoleptic. Um, <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, Alistair's legacy because we talked a little bit about his relationship with his family, how was inc- they were extremely toxic to him as a child and in adulthood. Yeah, and let's talk about his legacy. So he's in this interesting position, he's the second born son, he's younger than his brother Henry, who also. If their ages were flipped, Alistair would be you and Hendry would definitely be Kyla. Like, in a lot of sibling re- dynamics, I see it, like, where one's kind of more dark and angry. The other one's like, I love you. Here's a muffin. Like, that energy. Kyla's <laughs> still dark flip. and angry, but ever since she got into a relationship, uh, she definitely is a simp. Like, she got a jar of Marmite oh, yeah. today and her girl, her friend. Ooh. I know. I Yeah, it's her girl. But. Mm-hmm. Her partner. Mm-hmm. In case people are hearing this that they shouldn't be hearing this, and um, well, I find Jesus. I just really screwed that one up. She, no one listens to this that knows me. So okay, uh, her girlfriend and wrote "I love you" on her Marmite jar, and Kyla's like, "I love this woman," and I'm like, <laughs> and like, and I think that's what differentiate differentiates you two and also these characters. So they both grow up in you in this situation. You guys also grew up in not a great situation. Right. Alistair becomes the protective, I'll punch you in the face, I'll tear out your throat type. Like yours truly. Um, Hendry I just is... had this conversation with Zach. Oh, yeah. I just had this conversation. He's like, do you think you could actually kill anybody? I'm like, if they touch anyone I love, fuck yeah, I'll, do ha- I'll happily sit in a Without little- a doubt. Yeah, you'd be grinning the happily. whole time. Happily. I happily would fucking go in front of a judge and say, nah, I shot him six times straight. And that's exactly like, that's why I think also probably why you like Alistair so much is because you are similar. Obviously, you know, the context of the situation is different, but the way that Hendry is also like he has the same background he's been through the same stuff but he got through it because of Alistair and Alistair got through it because of him right and then Hendry comes out and is like I like pastries like he's very much not feeding into this image as much as Alistair is and that's not necessarily a dig but it's a good balance between the two yeah to your actual question about the legacy um the Lowe family has this very interesting image to uphold of being monstrous and they have like this hold on let me see if i can find what it is all of us villains loaf family saying because their saying is very interesting um and of course well, i probably Lowe's have won most of the tournaments and yes. are generally considered the villains in history because they're monstrous personalities um so Alistair was literally raised his, like, entire life to mm-hmm. win this tournament by, like, any means necessary. And he, because of his family, just accepted this role as the yeah. villain and monster. Um, 
so Alistair's story is definitely the like the most moving and complex storyline for me and he had mm-hmm. like the, for me I thought he had the most substantial development and you can really bond with this character and I'm happy there's a next book because I can't wait for that oh yeah I also kind of we'll talk about the ending in a little bit but I have this feeling about I have very strong feelings about the fact that it ends basically in the middle of this tournament the saying I was looking for is uh pale as plague and silent as spirits they'll tear out your throat they'll tear your throat out and drink your soul talking about the low family like like goblins um and they are you know they've there's some another one about like they've crafted cruelty into a crown so their legacy is basically the well their family motto is blood before all so the low family is the only thing that matters to the low family even though they're technically given this responsibility to oversee this magic so of course alistair has to be the coldest the cruelest you know even if that's not who he is inside. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I just heard you scream. That wasn't me, that was Thackeray. Mm-hmm. Sure. It was actually. <laughs> it sounded just like you. He's eyeing my wine like, give it to me, woman. <laughs> I love that you have a, a cat that's technically a lush. What? A lush. Not quite an alcoholic, but likes wine a lot. Yeah, he's a wino for sure. <laughs> for sure, you <laughs> But yeah, I definitely thought Alistair's story was more complex and his character development really showed it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it's interesting that you say character development because I don't know if it's so much a development as much as it's like an archaeological dig into who he is. Because he has this shell that gets broken and we, especially by Isabel, we see it peel back and we actually get what's beneath it rather than him developing this these feelings. He, I guess, develops the strength to express them. But it's like, this was already here. It was just a matter of what he thought he had to be versus what he actually was. That, you know, idea of the monster versus the man. Right, right. I like that, how you put that. Thank you. It's my English degree. My cat's attacking me. He's. I could see him just in the bottom of the frame, like every so often hitting you. Like, honestly, I'm abused. He's like, you got up. This is your fault. You caused this situation. It's like, woman, it's time to dance. Oh, yeah. Help, viewers. (laughs) (laughs) You would like to adopt a black cat who's just pure than love and don't give my cat no chaos no chaos in him at all please <laughs> don't you love how i just claimed your cat for myself like don't give my cat away <laughs> i'll tell Paige. i'll snitch on he's you everyone's cat oh yeah he is the family cat he's the family cat that will try to kill you in your sleep i still love that he tried to like smother Paige when she was sleeping and she's like <laughs> my baby yeah yeah he um he's special uh, he oh, reminds yeah. me of Alistair. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. He reminds me of Alistair. Not um, even joking. I was about to say the same exact thing. I think his theme song would be Pain by... No, it's uh, Numb by Linkin Park. Yeah. Sure. There's a song called Now That We're Alone by... Let me see what actually he was by. Uh, now that... If I can fucking type. People's Thieves. The People's Thieves. That is Alistair's theme song because the lines are like, how dark is it in your mind? 
now that we are alone like that kind of idea of like where is the darkness how does it actually lie we should absolutely do an episode where we do a tier list tier list of everything we've read and also where we make like character songs because i also think we could probably use a break from having to read a book every week (laughs) speaking of characters let's talk about gavin the underdog he is he had a relatable story arc in my opinion Oh, yes. His background is very realistic. Strip away the context of magic. His background's realistic. Gavin's a, like, a sad and angry kind of character. Mm -hmm. Because everybody, like, he's misunderstood and also underestimated. Yes, very much. His house is, he's the champion from the Grieve family. Mm -hmm. And they've never won a tournament. And they're pretty much looked upon by society and everyone in town. Um, so he was, Gavin is just a sad anger character because of the stereotypes that that has been put on his family and everyone kind of like gives him scorn because he's a grieve and he wrote a tell all expose about the tournament. Yeah. So So, the, the book that I mentioned earlier, yeah, there's speculation that that book came from the grieve family. So along with Artie being accused of being like basically worthless, weak, and alcoholics, they also had this put on top of it to make them even more alienated by this town and by basically everyone else. Everyone else doesn't necessarily or don't necessarily like go, oh my god, you're a grief, you suck. It's more of like, you don't exist to us. You're not that important. Right. So this, when he wrote the expose, it was kind of led on by his anger. Which made him kind of dangerous to deal with, to be quite frank. Um, because it just gave it, like, it made him so, da- like, dangerous that it provided him, like, with an impressive power. But it was at a great price. Yeah. Which And so, with that, he kind of turned into a beast, metaphorically speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, due to this power. And he ended up going from the bottom to like having an advantage over the other families yeah and because of that he kind of like did some cruel things and he was pretty reckless um it went from the underdog to being like anti-hero anti-hero <laughs> and that's the thing i don't even think i think he's not even an anti-hero he's a villain but he has a fantastic i didn't want to do that to him but yeah he definitely so he's like you know Zuko is a villain but it was like I can understand why you're a villain you can redeem yourself he's like Zuko villain which means like not necessarily that he's this awful person but that he does villainous murderous monstrous things um and I like that you're talking about his power turning him into a beast because it really does he makes this deal with Reed McTavish out of desperation out of anger and spite because there's an event that happens at his sister's wedding where he's just completely humiliated yeah so he goes to reed and basically begs him and this is after alistair like fucks up and almost actually i think he blinds someone so one of the uh either the spell makers or the curse makers who would come to pay tribute to the low family alistair messes up a spell and like destroys his sight so all of the spell makers and curse makers in town are kind of distancing themselves from him so gavin takes that opportunity to go to people to try to take advantage of the hatred toward the low family and he goes to reed mctavish who he's from a family of talented curse makers we will talk more about him but he makes this deal with reed 
not knowing the consequences or the price. And Reed makes it so his magic, rather than coming from elements around him, is based in life magic. And if, you know, unless you're just around a bunch of people who are constantly dying, life magic has to come from within. So he has a hourglass on his arm, which every time he uses his magic to re, uh, refill one of his curse stones, so rings, jewelry, things like that, it takes a physical toll on him. And of yeah. course, then it starts to take a mental one because he's literally killing himself just so he can win. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to put it, actually. What did you think of his, like, kind of obsession with Alistair? Creepy. <laughs> you know what? Fair. That I did ask. Creepy. It was creepy. He reminded me of that kid that had a poster of him on his wall. Throwing darts yes. at it. Yeah, I could see that. I guess, how much do you think of that is his own insecurity and how much of that is imposed by the low family's power? I would say it's uh, 30, 70. Mm-hmm. I would say 70 is his insecurity and 30 is per- because his family's low and Alistair's is high. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Um, like, you can only put, you can only blame that situation so much with your family's placement it ends up being your own insecurities that literally drive you. And I think and I'm such a hypocrite. Hey, look, you're looking at this from an outside perspective. Therefore, you can say and have those feelings about it. Yeah. I think it's interesting, though, because as he discovers more about Alistair, I feel like those numbers shift. Mm-hmm. Because he starts to hate Alistair for not being the monster that he was that he was expecting. Um, yeah. And when... Oh, we didn't even talk about the... Uh, lamb sacrifice so uh alistair has this ring and it has a a curse i think called it's either a curse or a spell but it's lamb sacrifice and it is the key to the low family winning constantly Mm -hmm. Uh, or at least it was for his aunt who won and the lamb sacrifice is exactly what it sounds like they take another low family member who is you know, has some kind of close relation to the champion and kill them. And they use their life magic to create this ring. So Hendry, because he is Alistair's only sibling, is the one that they pick. In the previous generation, it was one of his uncles who was close to his aunt, which his aunt ends up later committing suicide, likely because of this, because she knows that she used his life magic to kill all the people. Yeah. Um. So I think the scene where Gavin says, like, because Alistair says, I don't want to use my my i'm said husband my brother <laughs> i was thinking hendry husband just like the huh, noise um but i don't want to use my brother's life to end a bunch of others and he goes okay then bury it and when he does gavin's very clearly conflicted because he can't make him the villain when he just gave up his guaranteed win yeah he like goes into it already like no he's losing yeah and i think that's the interesting thing is he everything else that's going on this idea that they can break the tournament that they can you know undo the curse he's still thinking that all of this is the game yeah which is realistic because not everyone's going to jump on board but his disillusionment with everything going on is like whoa right really just not in touch you really out here yes literally (laughs) yeah 
I'm excited to see what happens for Gavin in the next book, though. I am too, actually. There's a lot of there's a lot of potential for him right now. Let's talk about Isabel, your favorite. Well, my my redhead queen. Oh yeah, she's my redhead queen. The next champion is Isabel. It was a bright and uh, pretty powerful magic user, and her family is highly resented. Um, I thought the authors put pretty good work in like developing her as absolutely. A, you think so? Yeah. Yeah. At first, she appears to be like one of the most confident and like overly enthusiastic people in the book, like originally, especially since like she's really leaning into the publicity that's surrounding the event in the tournament so (laughs) eventually though it becomes apparent that she was forced to be the champion because Mm -hmm. the her uncaring family and her former best friend which is another character that we'll be talking about um who basically threw her at the press so now elizabeth has like a lot of issues going into isabel sorry isabel you're good yeah, I don't know where you got that from, but... Sorry. Isabel. So there's, like, a lot of attention. Her family's putting a lot of expectations on her. And she's basically being forced to take all these huge risks. And so going into the tournament, she's, like, at a really big disadvantage. And thankfully, though, throughout the book, she develops all these different friendships and unique connections with the other characters. And... It really, like, was the emotional heart to the book, I think. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. She ends up at the core of it, for sure. We saw her go into a lot of different dark places. And it was really hard to see her go through the heartbreak and despair that she was experiencing. But it really made you feel connected with the character. And I think it lends itself to her being such a strong force in this book. Right. So, we'll start kind of... You did a really good job of overcoming her family. Pissed. Oh, I yeah. was pissed at fucking Brianny. So we're gonna Brianne. we're gonna get into each every and everything. You did a wonderful job overviewing that, especially because Isabel is such a complex character. Let's start with her family though. So her parents yeah. are divorced. Yeah. Her mother is a really talented spellmaker who Isabel works for. Her father is McClaz I think that's how. I don't know. I remember it's spelled but is okay. of the family that has named her as champion. Her mother's very warm and very caring. She reminds me a lot of your mom. Of like, we'll love you to death. We'll tell you the things you don't want to hear because you need to hear them. Her dad is... um Interesting. That's being generous, I think. He's a dick. I know. He's very manipulative. Um, Gaslighty. Yes. And like, she... Has seemed to come to terms with like her own issues, but she has been wanting to since basically their parents uh, separated, be accepted by her father's family. So when he's like, "Well, don't you want to make us proud? Well, don't turn your back on family," she falls into that trap. And I think she's kind of throughout this book figuring out like, "Well, that was fucking stupid." Like, you know, she's very conflicted about it. I wish I'd seen more of her relationship with her mom, though, but she goes in, she kind of, we get, like, one good scene with her mom, they have a fight, and then she's lamenting their fight the whole rest of the book. Yeah. Yeah. 
how different do you think it would have been if the mom was still married to the dad but was still telling her i don't want you to compete not that different i don't think at least i almost feel like she might have listened to her mother if her mother was still part of that family because then she's not turning her back on the mclazen family her mom's actively like no you guys need to pick another champion I think because it was coming from outside the family, she felt more fractured Pressure. about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's let's talk about uh, her announcement as champion. Let's go in on Brioni for the situation. What a bitch. What a bitch. Brioni is the character that I want to see the most development from. And we'll talk about her more. But it's because of how she handles the situation. Isabel is overlooked. She's very talented, but she's overlooked because of her family. Her family is known for collecting raw common magic at people's funerals. So they're hated for it because they show up when people are still there grieving and they go and they collect the magic and flasks and take it home. Yeah. So Brioni takes it upon herself to set Isabel out from the rest and quote-unquote leak it to the press that she was chosen as the champion before the blood moon even appears. Which then, of course, turns Isabel's life upside down. She can't go anywhere without the press being there. She has basically no privacy. She gets no choice in being champion. And it's it's because it's Bri- Brioni does it because that's what she would have wanted. Yeah. But Isabel... It's her own ambitions. Yes, absolutely. I feel Isabel's definitely cut from a different cloth. Because I feel like she could be as talented at spell making or even curse making as her mother is. Yeah. And would have been able to make a killing off of that and build a reputation separate from being part of her father's family. Yeah. Let's talk about her loss of magic. Because I was, I did not see it coming. I didn't see that coming. And I hate it when authors do that like what surprised you i was surprised but i hate it when they do that what what is what is that specifically i'm trying to understand where take you're away from. one of the ma- ma- main mc's powers like Let authors do that all the time something though her powers okay do you think in this context her loss of power showed her strength as a person better i do I do think it does, but I think her strength of character was still, like, shown with her powers. I saw a shift, definitely, in her confidence when she got her powers back. But I do like that, and there's obviously more reasons that we'll talk about when we talk about Reed, but I like that because she loses her powers, she has this development with Alistair, which we'll talk about the relationship in a minute. But when she gets her powers back, he helps her, but does not necessarily fix the problem for her. Yeah. Because I would have hated it if he had just waved a magical hand and her powers came back. Because then it's like, well, why did she have to lose them in the first place type of thing? Like like what you're saying. That's fair. Because if it was like... If it was like we were reading Sarah J. Mass and Feyre's powers just magically went away for no real reason and no end goal i'd be kind of like but why 
other than like inner turmoil i feel like in this it served to develop a few things about her could it have been less gradual yes but i think it gave her also a different perspective about the value of magic because she couldn't even sense it she couldn't it wasn't just she couldn't use it she couldn't even sense it so when there was magical things she was completely oblivious it was like she was deaf and blind to magic um which i'm hoping in the next book will if she whatever happens in the next book especially with high magic i hope that will make her stand out in her own right as someone who respects magic Fair. all right let's talk about my honey with your honey <laughs> it's like we have kids and oh, my yeah. my daughter got with your son <laughs> and we're like sitting in a bush with binoculars and we're like throwing water at them so like your son has to use his jacket for my kid like <laughs> you're not wrong get- and then we give a high five to each other, like, we did that shit. We could say that at their wedding. Look at that gentleman. <laughs> My girl's a simp. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that their relationship developed in the way that it did. Right. They were, it was like enemies to lovers, but they were enemies of, like, different versions of each other. Which made it, which made the kind of quick progression of the relationship make more sense it definitely got light lark vibes yes yeah um i think i liked the romance in this better than i liked light lark because i had a lot of issues like i like i love that book i had a lot of issues with how the romance developed in this it's like okay isabel hates alistair the monster alistair hates isabel the champion when you take both of those away it's like oh wait you're like a human being who's like attractive and also not that awful I think I can deal with this. Which then, through helping each other, turns into, oh, wait, I actually like you a lot. Oh, shit. Yeah. What did you, how did you feel about the uh, forced proximity? Because <laughs> that one was, that one was just blared and like all neon lights at us. I'll tell you exactly how I felt. Damn it. She's drawing on the Zoom call, so I'll... Hot. Got you. That took a while to load. It was like, ho, ho. It was awesome. I am a sucker for a hot proximity. Uh, hot proximity in one bed. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I also kind of loved that they had one bed to share. And because she couldn't see the magical enchantment, she was like, this is the nastiest fucking bed I've ever slept in. And he's like, oh, so comfortable. Literally, he's like, this is nice. And she's like, eh. Yeah, literally gagging the first time she got in the bed. Literally. He's like, it was this clean mattress. And she's like, no. (laughs) And I think because they very quickly are like, well, there's only one bed. And kind of are like okay whatever this is fine i'll just sleep on the other side of the bed and then over time they kind of come together when he threatens her life because like as every you know kind of morally gray moody book boyfriend does um and she sleeps on the floor it's all the more like oh shit right and then of course he is like i'll sleep on the floor this time you get the bed 
which is like oh my goodness just like stop being cute please i loved it do you foresee them ending up together in the end yes i almost don't i want them to be but i think for them to be characters who have both been through so much and have taken opposite sides and like in the end how how she leaves things i do not think they will end up together I think so will she cast this slow killing curse on him which is the thing that took her power away and then she got it back Mm -hmm. quite frankly I think it's going to kill her kill him and then she's going to have regrets I don't want to read it if that happens or maybe she'll I don't know max her power out to bring him back to life and lose her magic something like that yeah I have a feeling it's not gonna be like happy rainbows and butterflies especially with the the themes of this book already yeah 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 all right let's talk about brioni who really has such a path in this book yeah brioni um besides reed is one of our final characters Mm -hmm. and she's a wild card um unlike all the other characters she wants to compete in the tournament and she's literally spent her almost her entire life getting ready for it Mm mm-hmm um, she even went as far as dumping her boyfriend, so if she had to kill him, she would feel less guilty about it. I think the sadder part is he asked her, like, would you be able to kill me? And she was like, yeah. Yeah. And he was like, what? And then he ends up in the tournament anyway. Because at one point, her sister Inez is chosen by Agent Yu. So he volunteers because he's like, okay, well, Brioni's not the champion. I'll I'll go in and I'll, you know. And then she shows up and he's like, well, fuck, I would not have come if I know you were knew you were going to be champion. So like this has consumed her and everyone around her has seen it. Yeah. She definitely went a little nuts. Um, but I thought her arc was pretty cool, too, since she like what? went from wanting to kill everyone to like all right let's break this cycle and i think her self-reflection on why she wants that is really powerful and very honest because it takes her a while to get there but she so her sister's chosen and each champion gets a champion ring so in order to take her sister's place she chops her sister's finger off and takes the ring and originally she's like, oh, it's because I don't want Inez to die in this, which I'm hoping she lives because, oh yeah, we have we saw her, so she lives. Um, I don't want Inez to die in this comp- competition. And over time she's like, I wish it was that noble. It's, I wanted to be the hero. I'm not a good person. Like she over time figures that out about herself. Everyone else is saying it, but it t- it's a lot more powerful when she goes, oh fuck, they're right. I did this for selfish reasons. But also, if it means we can all leave alive, we're going to do that. Um, and we see this kind of click into place after she kills... Oh, what was the boy's name? I can't remember. He was the cousin of um, Eleanor, who was another champion. Eleanor Payne, and then... I can't remember the boy's name, but he casts a curse after that they encourage him to cast um, against their enemies. He thinks that she's betrayed them, their alliance... And attacked Eleanor. Eleanor made this up. 
So he attacks her. She puts up a shield. It rebounds. It kills him. And after this, she's really bounces around a lot, basically tr- trying to just survive. Excuse me. Um, and slowly starts to starts on this path of like, I'm kind of a dick. Right. How can I just like not not be a dick anymore? Your camera's doing it. I know. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. So her character arc was definitely interesting, but she was kind of my least favorite in a way. Yes. Yeah. And that's saying it with Reed, too. (laughs) I think Brioni was... So there's always, like, one character in a book that you gotta hate. Right. She was a skillfully crafted character that you hate. Right. Because typically, like, the one that you hate is always, like, the mean girl or obviously the villain. Brioni is trying to be a hero, and in doing so, you're like, oh my god, you're so annoying. Like, just look past yourself for one minute, and it's not even, like, intentional on her part. It's just who she is. But seeing her come from that to this place of realization is like, I still don't like you, but I'm proud of you for getting there. Yeah. Like, how I felt about uh nesta before i knew all the stuff about her where i was like i fucking hate your guts and then when she actually like when all this stuff comes out and she develops as a character and like comes back to a place where she's okay i'm like oh baby like i'm so proud of you (laughs) we need some brioni redemption though because i'm more of just like okay that's relieving that you're not like that anymore yeah (sighs) let's talk about your boy i'm so excited okay so Reed McTavish comes from a long line of curse makers, the McTavish family. He is like this grunge punk dressing guy. He's probably in his 20s. So he's fairly young and is very intrigued and fascinated by this curse because he's a curse maker. It makes sense. So he appears throughout the book. He has interactions with Gavin, Brioni, and Isabel that we see because um, the book is told from the perspectives of Gavin, Isabel, Brioni, and Alistair. There are three other champions but their perspectives are not really i don't want to say valued but prioritized here mm-hmm. and individually he manipulates each of them and from the start i was kind of like he's playing the field but what's his plan so if y'all haven't read the book and you actually care about the twist i'm about to tell you the spoiling so like go somewhere else i guess um so He's manipulating Gavin into trying out this magic that will absolutely break the confines of this curse. Brioni, he gets it in her head that she can carefully dismantle the curse or, un- you know, not carefully dismantle it. So he has her thinking of like, okay, how do we do this in a way that won't destroy us and possibly the town? And Isabel, Isabel's manipulation is a little bit different because he gets kind of in her head and drives her to Alistair by telling her that this curse that she's because she stole the curse that um backfires on her from him he says oh well a null and void class 10 should counteract the effects of this curse but you need someone who has high magic because there's no way it'll be strong enough so he pushes her to Alistair which is another thing that breaks the curse uh the repetition of this curse because this curse feeds off of blood and repetition of the same patterns of these families so he's doing all of this and he's working in the background because he wants 
to break the curse and take the high magic and have power over it. So we don't even know everything that he's been doing in the background, but we know this for certain because Isabel figures it out. Yeah. Even more to the point, he is actually the true writer of Tradition of Tragedy. He's pinned this on the Grieve family, but he did it so the government would come and start fucking around with the curse and potentially mess it up. So he's had, I think the, the book probably came out about a year or two before this happened, or maybe a couple months. He's been planning this long term and playing the field with each person to see how he can use them to get to the point of this curse being broken, high magic being free, and his family being able to take control of it, or specifically him. Um, he's I, I love him so much. He is like Loki-esque. Like he's not hot, but he's like Loki esque devious. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I was I felt so satisfied when I got to the point where Isabel figures it out. It was one of those, like, you know when you shut the book and you start hitting the cover in excitement? Yeah. I was doing one of those. And it's not a hardcover book, so I was really just smacking the shit out of my own hand, but it was it was great. <laughs> what did you think of his like his role throughout this whole book? I liked it because it wasn't like painfully obvious. Mm -hmm. So I liked it. I did. I would definitely agree. He comes up a lot. And quite frankly, if I wasn't, if I hadn't read enough of like Sarah J. Mass, I would not have known to really look at him. Yeah. Because like for her books, everything's relevant. In this book, everything is relevant. Yeah. Do you think his master plan will succeed now that Isabel knows? I think he'll hit some bumps in the road, but overall, most likely. I'm intrigued to see how that will play out, especially because he we don't know how he's planning to seize control of the high magic. We just know that he yeah. wants to. Yeah. He could and have also, he he could end up being the villain. We don't know. I think he definitely will be at least a villain. But I also think that the second that high magic gets free, everyone's gonna be a villain. Yeah. Because the people who have never experienced it and always been jealous are going to gun for it quickly. Yeah. And the people that have had it are going to, I mean, the Lowe family is already villainous, so are going to hoard it even more closely and become even more terrible. Yeah. That's fair. So let's talk about the ending. <laughs> Most of the ending is the revelation of Reed's plan. Another key thing is that Alistair, when he buries this ring, very shortly after, the spirit of his brother appears. He's created clearly by high magic because the ring was buried within the tournament grounds, which the tournament, the veil is starting to break. So they actually end up having a fight that's outside of the tournament grounds. And all of this is happening and Hendry comes back and Alistair, being a brother, being someone who's been mourning this man, this yeah, he's a man. He's an adult. Um, immediately is like, turns on Isabel, turns on all of them and is like, because he wanted to break the curse. He had come to that conclusion. He comes to the conclusion now after Henry comes back that like, I'll just kill all of you if it means, you know, preventing my brother from disappearing to wherever it is. He doesn't want the curse to be broken because Henry's life force, I guess, is now tied to it. Yeah. Which makes Isabel's choice harder 
and more painful, but she does end up choosing Brioni's side and curses Alistair with, I think it's like Reapers something, the one that took her power away. He had previously been like, well, use it on me then if we're not allies. And she, she couldn't do it. And now she kisses him and then curses him in the process. Yeah. Which that one, I was like, That's no! Wild. wild. Yeah. Wild. I actually ordered the second one already. I'm not going to lie to you. Nice. <laughs> it's on book outlets, so you can get it for like 10 bucks. Nice. I can't spend that money, though. I bought a lot of books. Well, for you and for the the, uh, the viewers, yeah. if you buy the second or the first one and you read it and you like it, Second one is on book outlet. I'm not sure how many are left yet or right now. So it might be like 30. So, you know, get your copy. Because <laughs> I got, I was like, I need to find this book. So I got it. Um, and I'm, it'll probably be in around the end of this month. So yeah. overall, overall, though. I'll say four and a half out of five, maybe 4.75. I think, yeah, 4.75 for sure. Yeah. Because it has everything to be a five but it didn't emotionally rip me apart yeah and i think that's the only thing i'm missing from this book which like is a pretty good yeah considering i have basically no complaints about this book yeah that's fair i'm gonna yeah. figure out where we can squeeze the second one in because like girl yeah. i'm ready to read it <laughs> <laughs> my only complaint was that we don't see how it ends until the second book that's it that's my only complaint yeah all right. Well, uh, next week we're going to be continuing another one of our series, which will be Throne of Glass, which the third one is... Terrifier. Thank you. I knew you knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. I was like, if I just trail off, she'll say it. So we will catch you next time. All right, guys. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.